0: Good morning. <laughs> okay. Today, we're going to be talking about citizenship. And um, so when I made the title to this, it sounded to me a lot like, it looked to me a lot like after the fact when i have made it, Like, this could be something that tells you about my eschatological views, and that's not what this is. This isn't me talking about the end times, because I actually believe that when Jesus returns, he will restore all things to new. He says, I'll bring back the new Jerusalem. So, when you see this is not our home, know that I'm talking about the decayed world as we live in it. That is not our home. I just wanted to clarify that. Um, Okay, so, where is your citizenship What country, state, province, and city do you call home? Many of you in this room were born in the United States. You who are foreign exchange students were born somewhere else. But did you know that if you're a Christian, you actually have a citizenship that supersedes your national citizenship? I know that sounds kind of un-American of me, but don't shoot the messenger, I'm just saying what the word says. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Today, we are going to talk about the mindset that we should have living as citizens of the kingdom of God. So, I feel like I know you all well enough. Okay, I always have to remember how to turn this thing on. There we go. I feel like I know you all well enough to be able to show you this picture. Um, That's me, circa 1995. Putting on some aftershave right before I went to prom with Marsha Neal was her name back in the day. And so uh, I just wanted to show you that because that was me being you. Like at the same age as some of you guys. And in uh, 1995, I was preparing for my senior year of high school. And that summer, I went on a mission trip with my church. My dad was an elder at the church, and my mom was on the missions committee, and so we went on a church to Caborca, Mexico, and we took a group of 15 to 20 people from our church down to this place, and Caborca is a beautiful city. Um, it's got great tourist attractions. It's got really cool stuff, but it's, it's um, like any city. It's also got its dangerous spots, and so um, we were down there helping to build a church for a sister church of ours that needed a building, and then we were also doing VBS for kids in the city. And um, my parents and I, with the group, decided to go downtown afterwards to get some food and look for some souvenirs in the city center. And me being stubborn, which I come by naturally, um, we got into an argument, my parents and I got into an argument, and before I really had the conscious decision to make this move, I found myself walking back to the church without having told them that I was going to do that. And um, I found out after the fact that I was walking through a two-mile stretch that was one of the most dangerous parts of the city. And um, I remember I saw a group of teenagers who um, who saw me and started following me and saying things in Spanish that sounded like taunts or jeers, and I sort of just walked a little faster and tried to blend in. Um, and they got distracted by something else and moved on. And then I saw an American, an older man sitting in a doorway. And um, I'm pretty sure he wasn't just there because he loved to travel, if you know what I mean. He was probably running from something. Um, he asked me if I wanted to do business, which I took as, oh, he wants to sell me drugs, um, which I did not buy. Um, Suffice it to say, um, I made it back to the church in one piece, and I'll tell you why later, or I'll tell you how later. For now, let's pray and just leave that image there as we dive into the text. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you have given us a citizenship into a new kingdom a kingdom that you yourself have brought, a kingdom that is in our midst. We thank you that you call us not only brothers and sisters, you call us sons and daughters, and you call us heirs of the throne. We know that we do not deserve it, but we happily receive what you give. Speak to us through your word this morning and help us to know how to respond. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Verse 4 says this, 4 through 9. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Peter wrote this letter primarily for the purpose of encouraging, ooh, looky there, that's smaller than I thought it would be. It's okay. Okay. You got better eyes than I have. Uh, Peter wrote this letter primarily for the purpose of encouraging the young church in Asia Minor to endure through the suffering that they were experiencing. And if you remember, Mr. Suber was talking about the kinds of suffering that they experienced. It wasn't always being put to death and things like that, but there were those who did. Nero was the emperor and he was famous for skewering Christians and using them as torches to light his garden. But it wasn't just that kind of persecution. It was also these Christians who had taken up the cause of Christ were now being ostracized by their communities and looked down upon. They were working menial jobs, which was very gauche in the day. It wasn't popular to have laboring jobs. And people looked at them and, and uh, wanted them to look more like themselves. Worship my gods. Do the things that I do. Because otherwise you make me nervous. And they were suffering that type of persecution and so Peter wanted to encourage them and teach them how to suffer for the right reasons and how to suffer in the right way. And that explains why he reminds them in chapter 1 that they were ransomed from the futile ways of their forefathers and that they were born again, not of perishable seed, meaning seed that dies, but of imperishable. Then last week, Peter gave us a direct action that we could perform in pursuit of these things, which was to cast off to put away, uh, yeah, to put away or to cast off like a dirty garment we talked about, all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And so today Peter draws attention to the fact that we do not suffer alone. Those who are in Christ have actually obtained a new citizenship. This is good news. So Peter employs a bit of a mixed metaphor today um, because he talks about a building made up of living stones and he talks about a priesthood. Um, and so, we're going to dive just a little bit into, like, the language that he's using and why it would make sense to the people who heard it. In verses 4 and 5, while some translations tend toward the imperative form, like, come, the ESV probably has it about right, where it says, um, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. And the reason that's important is because he's, he's, say, he's uh, making the assumption that you are coming to, to Christ. First through um, when you initially come to him by placing your faith and your trust in him alone, and then repeatedly for the rest of your life through worship and prayer. So the assumption is as you continue coming to Christ like living stones, you yourselves are being built up into a spiritual house. It's a house. That is how you get built into it, by returning to the Lord again and again and again. Peter introduces this imagery of living stones in the passage a phrase which could be lost on us since we tend to build our buildings out of regular old non-living ones. But to them, to all who had heard, uh, who were Jewish listeners, it would have made sense. Um, and actually in the New Testament, in Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, uh, Hebrews, and Matthew, they all contain references to this living stone imagery. So we know that it kind of made sense to listening ears, but for those who did have an ear for the scriptures, the um, scriptures, It's interesting to note, too, that the Hebrew people always looked at um, the exodus from Egypt as a calling forth from darkness into great light. It was excellent news. And in fact, the exodus story um, in the Old Testament was the thing that these people rooted all of their history in because before they went to Egypt and became slaves there, they were not a nation, they were not a people. And then God uses this strange time and place to call them into existence and literally put the worship of Yahweh on the map when they left and got their own place. (laughs) Um, Karen Jobes writes a comment, she wrote a commentary on 1 Peter, and she says this: the placement of the living stone with the living of the living stone with living stones in the temple implies the close relationship of Christ with believers and their common nature as human beings. The cornerstone is called living by virtue of his resurrection. The same resurrection that enlivens the stones that come to him and take their place in the new temple. They are not heaped up in a pile or scattered across a field. Christians are not individually temples of God in the imagery that Peter uses here. They are each put in a place in a spiritual house for the purpose of being a holy priesthood that offers acceptable sacrifices to God. And in verses 6 through 8, um, here Peter quotes Isaiah twenty-eight 16, reestablishing the important image for the new church but also in, uh, anchoring this new community of Gentile Christians to the Jewish Christians. All under one banner. The text speaks of the Messiah, a precious cornerstone that believers build their faith upon. He then quotes Psalm 118 and Isaiah 8 in the following two verses using a comparison method called verbal analogy. So the scriptures add that this cornerstone was rejected by the builders. And the builders who rejected him will experience him as a stumbling block offensive to all who reject him. So the comparison there is that to those who are in Christ, he is your cornerstone, your hope. He is the chief part of the structure that you dwell in. And to all who don't believe, he causes them to trip and fall. So what is the significance of the cornerstone? Well, it holds the building together. Um, we don't think about these things now a lot of the times because what we have around us is mostly sheetrock in our buildings, and we don't build that much with stones as far as our houses are concerned. But um, if you were standing, let's say, in, f- in a building that was built all of large stones, stacked twice as high as your head, it would be a very high value that they met at the edges, right? Because if you've ever been to a restaurant, like where they have those little things that you put on, Uh, and they hold, like, the dessert um, advertisements. If you don't fold it, it falls on your plate. But when it's folded at, like, a 90-degree angle, it's like a steady surface. So if you're in that building, it's a very high value that those corners meet up, because if they don't, it just takes, like, a strong wind, and um, those stones will fall on you, inflicting great harm and even death, possibly. Yes, yes. So Jewish and Gentile Christians who longed, this also holds um, the structure together in a spiritual sense, which is where Peter is going with this. Christ is not only one of the four cornerstones in a square building, but he is the chief cornerstone, off of which all of the rest of the structure is built. And he holds that structure together, quite literally. Referring to Christ as a living stone shows his superiority, over the Old Testament temple, which was built of dead stones. Right? Remember when he said that the temple was destroyed and on the third day he would raise it up and they thought he was talking about the actual temple made of stones that took years and years to build, but Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm the cornerstone. Finally, the passage tells Peter's audience that their new identity, which they desperately needed to hear, was in a different place than they had been taking it. Remember, these were marginalized, outcast, despised people in their cities. They desperately needed to hear that they belonged somewhere. They needed to hear again and again of their identity. Not just individually, but as a people. They had no nation or no people group anymore. They were outcasts. And Peter gave them just what they needed. No longer are they to identify as the poor laborers on the fringes of society. No, they were a chosen race. Not a race built on ethnicity or skin color or birth certificate. Rather a race built on the foundation of the cornerstone. They were a royal priesthood. No longer did they need to bring sacrificial offerings to a priest who would then offer it to the Lord on their behalf. They enjoyed full fellowship with the Father himself. They were a holy nation. These people who had given up everything, status, family position, wealth, comfort for the sake of Christ, they had given this all up, were now unified under a new national flag. It was the flag of Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And finally, they were a people for his own possession. They'd already forsaken a great deal in aligning themselves with Christ. They now understood that they were not their own, but they were his. And they were purchased with his own blood. They were his people, and he was their God. Finally, this new identity came also with a new calling. And he says this in verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The phrase makes sense to us on multiple levels. I mean, you and I have both experienced um, the things that happen in the darkness. And we've been victims of things that happen in darkness. But Peter was still pulling from imagery that has been used by the, that had been used by the Jewish people for years. Remember, we talked about how the Jews already thought of a moment in history where they were called from dismal darkness into great light, into the promised land, into a fullness as the people of God. And Peter, once again, as all the apostles did, wanted to unite those who were the outcasts and those who had no place, and not only to unite them, but unite all in Christ as one people, no longer just the Jews, but all Jews and Gentiles who would pursue Christ. So what does this mean for you and I today? How are we to respond to the identity that's been given to us in Christ Jesus? Well, I'm going to go with three things. These aren't the only things, but there are three of them. Number one, remember your true citizenship. Whether it's citizenship of a nation or citizenship of a, uh, a, a group or a club or, uh, or whatever, um, whatever things you're into, don't let it trump your, your citizenship in the kingdom of Christ. You already have a king. You don't need another one. Remember your citizenship. And when you think about this in terms of, and I'm not going to go political, but I'm just going to point out that right now it's sort of a popular conversation. And this comes up again and again. This isn't the first time that this has happened, but where hyper-nationalism here or anywhere, um, it's good to be proud of the place that you've, that you've been born and raised. Um, but sometimes certain uh, types of conversation kind of cross the border into fear-mongering and anxiety for the sake of people or, or groups that look different or act different than us. That's not what Christ's kingdom looks like. Because it doesn't matter. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about uh, 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 what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7 when he says the things about, um, remember, there is no Jew nor Gentile, uh, male nor female, slave nor free. And he's not saying, okay, these are the categories where uh, we're just going to get rid of all gender and all ethnicity. No, he's saying it doesn't matter which one you are, because you're not unified because of skin color or race or birth certificate. You're unified because of Christ, who is your king. And in him, you have freedom as a nation. So remember your citizenship. Continue, number two, to build your life and faith on the foundation of the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. And also, as a living stone in the structure, build up one another. Don't cut them down. It's part of your job. Build one another up. And then number three, as priests, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. In Romans, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing, which is your spiritual act of worship. Your act of worship is presenting your bodies. And he goes on to say how to do that. He says, do not be conformed to the world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may know what his perfect will is. Who is the cornerstone to you? Is he your honor? Or is he a stone of stumbling? Remember, Peter was writing to people like you and I. And he wrote to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, into marvelous light. As I look into your faces today, I know some of you better than others, uh, just because if you do track, for example, I might know you a little bit better, or if I know your parents, or you grew up with my kids. But I can say this of probably most of you, because I can say it also of myself. Sometimes you're anxious. You're fearful. You're weighed down. But all of those things for the wrong reasons. See, we don't like being outcasts. We want to be popular. So if we're with people who maybe don't believe the gospel, we water it down so that that we can be friends. We don't like being labeled as bigots or ignorant. We're trying so hard to look like the rest of the world that we are over-busy, over-tired, and over-stimulated at every turn. So we do end up looking like the world, but not necessarily in, in a good way. We are resident aliens in this culture. We are sojourners in our own land. We, too, in many ways, often fail to glorify God because we fail to reflect our true citizenship. For those who trust in Jesus Christ, this is not your home, this decaying and fallen world. We were created to dwell in the kingdom that Jesus said is in our midst. So returning to um, my time in Mexico, I wasn't there for long. I was only there for like 10 days. I was not on my home turf though. Everyone else knew where they were going. And knew how to speak their language. Everyone else was able to blend in, except for me and Shady Businessman on the corner. Everyone else knew what they were doing. And when I made it back to the church by the grace of God, because I was kind of on my own, and then I saw it in the distance, and I made it, at about the same time, the church van pulled up, and my parents were in it with some of their members. Um, And it was this cool reunion. Like, my parents... Came up and they were crying and laughing and scolding me and hugging me. And the pastor of the church down there was saying to me, You know, um, you actually probably shouldn't have been able to make it back here in one piece. He chalked it up to God. And, and again, Kaborka is a wonderful place, but I just happened to be walking through one of the less wonderful parts of it. And um, so, anyway, we had a lot of fun, we rejoiced. And what I realized was that day I learned a lesson about the church and that is that the church is global. It's a global nation of people. These mothers and fathers had lost a son. I didn't even know them before that week. But they had been dwelling in this living temple, and they had saved a space just for me. And it sort of changed my life. You and I are resident aliens in this culture. We're exiles of the dispersion in Olathe, Kansas. We, like many of the Gentile Christians in Peter's letter, may have been born here and lived here our whole lives, but this is not our home. God's kingdom is in our midst, and you and I are the true temple with Christ as our cornerstone. That is our home. Let's pray. Father, how good it is to know that you have given us a place, that you have given us purpose, that you have made us a people even when we feel like we are cast out on the fringes. Father, we thank you for your leadership as our king. We ask that you would help us to continue giving you honor in the things that we do and say and to never forget that our citizenship was paid with a very high price. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Let's stand and sing this final song.